Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Theology is important. But if I said that to someone, I might well get the response, yeah, but I'm a practical person. So why do I need all that book learning stuff? I might say to another, but theology is important for you. In response, no way. I follow the Spirit, so why do I need to know all that doctrine? Or, <laughs> theology is the domain of seminaries. We all know that seminaries are spiritual cemeteries. Ha oh, oh. ha. Now, I've written on this before, but it's worth saying again. What we believe largely determines how we live. Sometimes we speak and act irrationally out of anger or hurt, but mostly we say and do flowing from an embedded value and priority system. Life principles determine what we say and do, and these come from our beliefs. You see, they do arise from what we believe about who we are, what we are doing on this planet, and where we go when we die. And these, and more, are the subjects of theology. However, I need to define theology before progressing further. So what is theology? Well, I really dislike the stock definition of theology as the study of God. You see, God is multidimensional and we are limited to three dimensions of space and one of time. God is all-knowing, all-wise and all-powerful and we are pathetically limited in all of these aspects. How then can we study God? It is like an aphid claiming to be able to study an angel. I don't even like the idea that theology is talking about God. No, it's far more than just that, and of much greater value than talk and conjecture. A biblical understanding of the nature of theology derives from two Greek words, theos and logos. Theos translates simply as God, and logos translates as divine reason, which can also mean reason as the controlling principle of the universe, or even reason as manifested by speech. However, the Biblical revelation goes deeper, because in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, the author writes that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Logos. He wrote, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, Logos, and the Word was God, Logos. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. On all three occasions, the word is translated from the Greek logos. So authentic Christian theology is based on the revelation of Jesus Christ as God. Theology is rooted in divine revelation rather than intellectual discovery. Yet it deploys philosophy and reason as aids to comprehending God's revelation to us. Theology is the body of Jesus-centered divine revelation. Okay, so how do we develop our theology? Seminaries articulate theology and act as its custodians of the generations. And some of us study at such establishments, such seminaries. Others read theology books, while still others do neither of those. Yet all of us has a theology. I've said this before, I'll continue to say it through this truth talk. 
Now, we may have imbibed it from our parents or teachers, or perhaps we have built it directly from the pages of Scripture, but all Christians have a theologically informed worldview of one form or another. This theology, whether we call it that or not, plays a huge role in how we live. It informs our business ethics, our personal morality, and our value system, and it molds our measure of meaning and worth. Theology is therefore important to all of us. The role and importance of theology is actually more obvious within the context of the church than it is in our personal lives. Local churches and denominations invariably have well-established theology, which becomes obvious through its preaching, teaching, and leadership ministries. They often crystallize their theology in statements of faith or position papers and teachings on key doctrines. Problems arise when churches place their traditions and historical positions above the revelation of Scripture. Problems also occur when church practice arises from poor doctrine and faulty theology. However, those accountable for defective theology seldom acknowledge that their understanding is deficient. For instance, those who promote infant baptism usually claim that their practice flows from the legitimate idea that baptism is a church-age continuation of the Old Testament rite of circumcision. However, Jesus modeled adult baptism by immersion. And Paul expanded on this idea. So infant baptism, stroke Christians, does not arise from a Jesus-centered understanding of Scripture and is therefore defective. All churches have a theology, but not all parts of their theology are necessarily correct. Now, this is obviously begs the question of what constitutes what I'm calling good or correct theology. So let me give you some fundamental criterion for good theology. For at least the last 35 years, I have preached, taught, and written on the subject. My personal conviction is that the biblical revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the fundamental criterion for good theology. In a nutshell, my reasoning is as follows. One, the Bible is the trustworthy written record of God's revelation to humanity. Two, Jesus Christ is the full manifestation of the Godhead in bodily form. Three, therefore, biblical revelation of what Jesus said did and revealed of the nature and character of the Godhead is the criterion of sound theology. One flows from the other. The foundation of this process of deduction is obviously the presupposition that the Bible is the trustworthy record of God's revelation to humanity. And the critic might claim that my Christocentric, that means Jesus-centered, basis for sound theology is simply an assumption. Now, I guess this is true. Almost all logical arguments are founded on an assumption of some kind. However, my base assumption is neither arbitrary nor unsubstantiated. I have devoted a huge amount of time and research to satisfying myself that the Bible, as we have it today, is trustworthy and reliable. Now, I do not claim that it is inerrant, as my more fundamental brothers claim it to be, because it doesn't make that claim for itself. Yet, despite the involvement of human beings in its authorship, editing and preservation, I find it to be consistently trustworthy. Therefore, 
if the church or domination bases the val and validates its theology Christocentrically from a Jesus perspective, then that theology will be good theology. The same must apply to individuals. However, I do have a few caveats to add. And so these are kind of qualifications. It's possible for someone to base their theology on a biblical understanding of who Jesus is and what he said and did and revealed of the Godhead, yet still produce poor doctrine and theology. Now, this can happen in one of two main ways. One, basing theology only on what the scriptures reveal of Jesus Christ. Now, some would call this red-letter theology. Now, you're just making your whole theology from the parts of scripture which are printed in red in some of the Bibles, in other words, what Jesus said. And it arises when there's a failure to realize that Jesus is both the subject of scripture, but also its interpreter. For biblical theology to be adequately developed, it must take into account all of the biblical revelation, and not just the Gospels. Acts, maybe, and selective verses from the Revelation. But, and it is a big but, all of Scripture needs to be looked at through the lens of what Jesus said, did, and revealed of the nature and purpose of the Godhead. And this is what I understand as genuine Jesus-centered interpretation. In other words, whether we're looking at the Psalms, or whether we're looking at Job, or whether we're looking at the creation story, or Isaiah, or, or whatever it is, Acts, or Peter's writings, or John's writings, or Paul's writings, we look at them as if we're wearing a pair of spectacles which are Jesus-tinted. So everything we read, we think, what did Jesus reflect about this? What did Jesus say about this? How did he show us the true meaning of this through the nature and character that he displayed? That's what I'm talking about. Now, let me give an example. See, just in case these two principles that I've articulated are too general, let me give you an example, a specific example of what I mean. <clears throat> I've written before about Matthew 24 in an article called Signs of the End of the Age, and it'll serve well here as well. So many people are wondering if we are currently living in the final days of planet Earth as we know it. And so what Jesus said about it is actually a hot current issue. Matthew 24 contains some statements that may confuse or scare some folk. For instance, Jesus said in 24 verses 15 and 16, So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel and in brackets, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I wonder how many doomsday preppers have taken this as a reason to head for the hills and live, live in armed and fearful isolation. You know, doomsday preppers are those folk who take these things terribly literally and they rush out into the countryside and have little farmhouses. They pack them up with um, stocks and water and petrol and have lots of guns and things and they dig deep pits under their houses as bomb shelters and all that sort of jazz because they believe that the end is about to crash down on them. The assumption for them would be that the whole chapter 24 is about the end of time, otherwise they wouldn't take this as relating to now. You see, there's no longer a temple, a holy place in Jerusalem, so they figure that the reference must be to parts of today's church, in a church standing for the temple, which they perceive as an abomination in so many ways. They look at the church, they say, oh, the church has gone wrong, it must be a sign of the end times. The world is evidencing much of what Jesus speaks of in the chapter. 
and they see the traditional churches desolate. So they figure, oh, it's got to be time now to run and hide. Now the problem is that the disciples asked Jesus two questions. One, about the Jerusalem temple, when that would be destroyed, and the other about the end of time and when he would come again. In verses 15 to 22, Jesus describes the condition that would occur in AD 70, when the temple would be destroyed by the Roman army. The passage does not refer to our current conditions. Now, there are clues in the text itself that this is the case. For instance, brackets, let the reader understand, must surely have referred to the original readers and not to the hundreds of generations between then and now. And if you would like to read further on this passage and how I understand it, then you can find it on my website, Truth is the Word, and just search for it and you'll find it there. If, as I believe is the case, what we say and do greatly is greatly influenced by our theology, then a good way of changing our lives for the better is to re-examine our theology. What do I believe concerning the centrality of Jesus Christ? What do I believe concerning the trustworthiness of the Bible? What do I believe concerning my dependence on the Holy Spirit? And then, having determined what I currently believe concerning these fundamental theological foundations, my next step should be to relate issues of faith and love to what Jesus revealed within its proper context. Do my current life principles, values and purposes correlate with a Jesus-centered theology? From this base, I can then determine what needs to change in the way I live my Christian life. And this will be hard work requiring regular reality checks. But I know of no other way to intentionally adjust our theology and the lifestyle that flows from this. Another way to perform a reality check is to change our approach to responding to issues that arise in our lives. If someone asks you what your position is on, say, homosexuality or abortion or war or radical liberalism or whatever, you can check your habitual response and reprocess the matter differently. Instead of responding with, well, I think, or the Bible says, you can find some time to run the issue through the filters, the Jesus-centered filters that I've proposed here in this talk. If you still hold that theology is not important, then I would be very happy to interact with you and to hear what you have to say. And the easiest way is to hop onto my Truth is the Word site, that's truthistheword.com, and you'll see this talk in article form, and it has a comment section at the bottom. You can just type in your comment and send it off. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. 